Martha and I have been married over 52 years, and she was singing in revival meetings and all, even before that. And uh, I've already heard what she sang this morning four times this morning. <laughs> Our lights were out when we got up, as Martha mentioned a few moments ago, and I had to shave with a, with a, a uh, had a little candle there, and then I had to get a, a uh, flashlight. Miracle that I got here without cutting myself to death. And, oh, not to tell you this, but I'm going to. Anyway, I, I was using, I was looking for the spray deodorant and I picked up the hairspray. <laughs> and I walked around like this for about, <laughs> like I was blessing everybody, you know. Oh, uh, Charlie, I've got, trying to get you out of a quandary. I've got one of these things you gave me in the early service. Oh. I was hoping to grow a little, spiritually at least, that is. That was marvelous. Thank you. How do you like his boots? Isn't that terrific? <clears throat> Take a good look at them now. It's the last time you'll ever see them, I can assure you. Do you promise us that? <laughs> I told him earlier, I said, you know, those are the kind of boots that when you, you don't wear them out, you know, to get in the rough world, riding horses and that sort of thing. You, you wear those to sit in the hotel lobby and cross your legs so everybody can, so everybody can see them. Aren't these uh, young people from Tallywood terrific? You all are marvelous. Bless you all for coming. And all of the sponsors and uh, parents and friends that are with them, we welcome uh, all of you. Uh, it's been a good long while since I told you this story. In fact, it's been years ago, but uh, Charlie having a wonderful children's service up here a few moments ago reminded me of this pastor was having a, ch a children's service like he did today and had all the kids up there. And he said, he asked a question. And if you've heard this, don't tell the person next to you. I'm going to tell it because I've enjoyed it myself. And... Uh, he said, uh, okay, uh, children, let me ask you a question. What is brown and furry and has a long tail and climbs trees and likes to eat nuts? Well, they just sat there in stunned silence. And he said it over again. What, you all understand this, what is brown, furry, brown, long, furry tail, climbs trees and eats nuts? No answer. And he looked at the little boy and said, Billy, you know, what is it? The little boy said, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sounds like a squirrel to me. <laughs> Isn't that a great story? Well, you know, give that little kid, give that little boy credit. He had it half right. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is really the answer. Is the answer to all of our hopes and our dreams. Is the answer to our frustrations and to our failures and to our sins. He is the answer. And I want to speak to you for a few moments this morning about three days to celebration. Three days to celebration. Oh, let me ask. How many of you don't know what in the world we're talking about when we say Bright Sunday? I see your hand. It's okay. It's all right. Bright Sunday. We've been celebrating that here at Trinity for, goodness, I don't know what. Uh, John, eight or ten years, something like that. And uh, it, it started way back in the early church, and then it was picked up again during the, uh, during the Reformation. Luther even said this. Uh, he was talking about a bright Sunday when he said, 
You know, the devil uh, thought that he had uh, crucified, having crucified Jesus, the devil had won the victory over Jesus. And then God played a trick on the devil and raised Jesus from the dead. And so the first Sunday after Easter, they celebrated the big joke that God played uh, on the devil by raising Christ from the dead. And so they started wearing bright clothes and playing jokes on each other. And then it went out of uh, vogue. It happened. I don't know what uh, sort of made it uh, disintegrate. But then it came back to life in Arizona, New Mexico, through some Catholic Christians who began the clown uh, movement, you know, the clowns going around uh, entertaining and all of that. all grew out of... Uh, out of uh, bright Sunday. So that's why we wear uh, bright clothes. That's why we, uh, all of you look colorful this morning. Uh, some of you have on the normal Sunday dress, but your eyes are red because you lost an hour of sleep. So even that is uh, colorful uh, this morning. Uh, so let's go back to Good Friday. It wasn't Good Friday when it happened, was it? It was the worst day in the lives of all of those people who had followed Jesus, who had laid down everything to follow him, to trust him. And uh, he died. Jesus did not die for all of us. Don't jump ahead of it. Jesus did not die for all of us. He died for each one of us. Each one of us. If you'd been the only person in all the world who ever needed salvation, if you were the only person in all the world who had ever failed or sinned, consciously or unconsciously, he would have done everything he did just for you. The patriarchs and the prophets, all that God did across the ages, he would have done just for you. As Augustine said, he loves each of us as though there is only one to love. He died for you and you you and you. And if you have come here today thinking that God's a long way off and he's inaccessible and he doesn't even know your name, listen, he did everything he did on that Friday and on that Sunday just to change your life. It's all for you. It's more personal than your heartbeat. It's closer to you than your own breath right now. God's love for you. They nailed him to the cross. 23rd chapter of the Gospel of Luke. When they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You hear that? The first word from the cross is forgive. The first word from the cross is forgive. And the first word we need to hear today is that our sins are forgiven. Do you remember the woman caught in the act of adultery? Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. To the woman at Simon the Pharisee's house, washing Jesus' feet with her tears, a prostitute, breaking into that little dinner meeting that uh, Simon was having, Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven Go in peace. Let me say that to you. Not on my authority, for I do not have the authority to say it. Not on the authority of the church, but on the authority of Jesus Christ himself. He died for you, and he forgives you of all of your sins. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You realize, you've heard me say this. It's worth saying again. All of our sins, all of your sins are forgiven. All the people in San Antonio's sins are forgiven. Everybody in Texas, everybody in America, everybody in the world, all of their sins are forgiven. Everybody in heaven, their sins are forgiven. Everybody in hell, their sins are forgiven. They refuse to accept forgiveness. 
And that's the hell of it. That's always the hell of it. Unrequited love rejecting this incomparable love of God. Your sins are forgiven. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. First word from the cross. First word we need to hear today. Forgive. Second word is from a thief. Being crucified alongside Jesus. He'd heard that word forgive. I believe that. I don't know whether this man had ever heard Jesus before or not. We don't know. There's no inclination of it in the scripture. He could have heard him, but we don't know that he did. But here he is beside him on the cross. And the second word from the cross comes from the lips of that man who asked Jesus this. Jesus, remember me. It can't get more simple than that, is it? Jesus, remember me. I didn't realize this until a few months ago. Isn't it wonderful? Even when you get older, you can learn more things and continue to grow. Even as Charlie was talking about the children growing, he's talking about not just growing physically, but growing mentally and spiritually, and that's a part of the church life. That's why you need to have these children here Sunday by Sunday. Why we all need to be here to continue to grow. Anyway, what I learned, I want to share with you. I did not know until I read this, and you, and you go through your New Testament, it'll be, you'll find it verified. The only person in all of the ministry of Jesus that we know about, the only person who ever called Jesus just by his first name was the thief on the cross. Everybody else called him teacher, rabbi, master, Lord. But no one ever said just Jesus. The angel told his mother what to name him. Name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing and keeps me singing as I go. Jesus, remember me. And Jesus looked at him, hanging together there, dying ignominiously there, painfully on that cross, he looked over at Jesus. Jesus looked at the man and said, Today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. Today. Today. Now I know there's some discussion and debate among theologians and churchmen about is that paradise or is that heaven? Which is which? And where is this one? And where is that one? Listen, my friend. I don't care what name you hang on the outside. If Jesus is on the inside and I'm with him, it's paradise. It's heaven. It's glorious. It's wonderful. It's marvelous. Wherever he is, we want to be. I didn't say this in the early service. It just came to me. Think for a moment. Think for a moment. That, that thief that died beside Jesus, he looked out there on that milling crowd of people hurling horrible words at him and at Jesus, agonizingly dying on that cross, and he died on the cross, and guess what? He opened his eyes in glory. Can you imagine what he saw when he stepped across from death to life? You will be with me in paradise. Can you imagine what celebration? Hey, you talk about bright Sunday. That man had a bright Sunday. Jesus, remember me. Let me, let me say to you, friend, if you've 
If you're here and this is the first time you've ever heard the gospel, that was probably the first time he'd ever heard the gospel. Please don't wait until another day. Sometimes people say, well, I'm going to wait. I'm going to accept the Lord. I'm going to do it. I will. I plan to. I know I need to, but I need to get things in order. and I need to stop this and start that. No, listen, you don't need to remodel your life. That's what he'll do. Today is the day, the Scripture says, and now is the accepted time. The Bible says today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Today, today, today. It's important. A lot of people who plan to die at the 11th hour die at 1030. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait. Let me urge you, because in just a few moments we'll be giving an invitation for the Lord. It won't be mine. It won't be Charlie's. It will not even primarily be the church's. It will be the Lord inviting you to come to Him. Don't put it off. Come down this aisle. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. That's the word of the Lord. Fourth word, an agonizing sound even in our ears. Across 2,000 years, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? We don't understand that, do we? It's incomprehensible. We're talking about the incarnation here, and we cannot understand that totally. This Jesus, who was holy man and holy God, God and man in one, the humanity of Jesus revealed itself through his ministry. He got tired. He got thirsty. He cried over Jerusalem as we should be. He prayed for Jerusalem as we're commanded to do. He was hurt when he was rejected by the religious leaders of his day. And then here he hangs on the cross and he'd been ridiculed by the religionists. He'd been called a child of the devil. He'd been called an illegitimate child and the worst word that you could use to describe him. And then he looked out there on that crowd while he was dying on that cross. And do you realize, of course, the artists have endeavored to depict the cross in such a dramatic way, appropriately so, where it's above the crowd and behind it are the dark clouds and the thunderheads rolling. But when Jesus died on the cross, the cross was no more, Jesus' feet were no more than a foot off the ground. I mean, he was almost eye to eye with the six-foot man. And here he is looking out on the crowd. He saw his mother. And he saw Mary Magdalene and Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and his beloved disciple, friend John, and some other women. Where was Peter? I wonder if he looked out there and kept looking in the crowd. Where are my closest followers? Where's Peter? Where's Matthew? Where's Andrew? Surely they're here. Where's Philip? Where are Mary and Martha and Lazarus? I raised him from the dead. Where's Bartimaeus? I gave him his sight. Where's the man at the pool of Bethesda? I made him well. Where are the thousands that I fed? Where are they? I don't think he was engaging in self-pity. I don't believe he was doing that at all. But you know what? He was going through the very thing some of you are going through and all of us go through at one time or another in one degree or another when you feel like you've been left out when you've been isolated, when you've been rejected, when you've looked out for someone to say a good word and they're not even there, when you feel alone and desolate, He's been there. He's been there. And He'll be there with you through that. He'll be there with you through that. The sun went out 
when he cried those words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The sun went out. As James Weldon Johnson said in Green Pastures, it was blacker than a thousand midnights down in a cypress swamp. Even God turned the sun off when his son died. I don't know what went on during those three hours. But I do believe this, that he tasted hell for every man. In what way and in what place, I do not know. But I believe he was bearing in his own body on the tree our sins. Paul tells us that. Paul tells us that. Be reconciled to God. For God made him who had no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We will never be righteous in ourselves. We will never be righteous because we are in the church. That's wonderful. We'll never be righteous because we read the Bible and sing or preach. Those are all good, commendable, marvelous things. But what is righteous is what God gives us. We are righteous not in ourselves, but in Him and in Him alone are we made righteous in the sight of God. Today, let Him take your place and be your sin bearer for eternity. He has come to do it. The darkness descends for three hours. And then he exclaims one word. In your Bible and in mine, it is written, it is finished. In the Greek New Testament, it is a single word. Finished. It is not the cry of a defeated man. It is the cry of a victor. For Jesus did not die as a victim. He died as a victor. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. And he arose a victor of the dark domain. And he lives forever with his saints to reign. Hallelujah. Christ arose. Do you remember what on the Mount of Transfiguration just a few weeks before... When Moses and Elijah met with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and they talked with him, not about the death he was going to suffer, but, but about the death he was going to accomplish. When he cried that final seventh word on the cross, it was the cry of victory. We've done it. Tis done, tis done. The great transaction's done. Finished. Finished. The plan of the ages finished. And he did all of that. He did all of that for us. Well, they took him down from the cross, tender hands, prepared his body, laid it in a borrowed grave, the grave of Joseph of Arimathea, wealthy probably secret disciple of Jesus, for he'd gone to Pilate and asked for the privilege of burying Jesus. And he buried him, wanted him buried in the family tomb, which uh, was, would be a very opulent event for a person to have such a, uh, a tomb, a kind of sarcophagus. And um, there's a little poem that I said to these young people from Tallywood that uh, when they did that marvelous, dramatic presentation of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, they could do this. And I don't know what play it's from, but it's, it's not, it is a play. It didn't have, we don't have it in the Bible. But uh, someone in this play asked Joseph of Arimathea, uh, why 
are you allowing them to bury that carpenter from Nazareth in your tomb, your family tomb? And Joseph answered, well, he's only going to use it for the weekend. (laughs) How true. How true. Austin uh, Frederick is a Methodist minister in San Antonio, and he and I were together in a series of services in the last week or so, and I heard him tell this story. It's also, I believe it's from Kubler-Ross, and it's a story about a little girl, a 12-year-old girl, who developed leukemia. And she had to go through all of the treatment and uh, the chemotherapy, and in the process, like so many people, she lost all of her hair, and she was just so very, very sick and went through a long series of treatments. And then she began to get a little better and the family was excited and hopeful about her recovery. And uh, so they decided to go out and celebrate. And they were going to go to this very fine restaurant, which they did. And the little girl went along, you know, without any handkerchief or anything on her head, just a little bald head, 12-year-old girl. And they had their dinner. And during the dinner, she got up, the little girl did, to go to the ladies' room. And she went in there, and uh, when she was there, there was a lady there, a very beautiful woman, magnificently dressed, with long, beautiful hair, standing there at the mirror. And this woman looked around at the little 12-year-old, and the little girl looked at this beautiful lady. And the lady said to the little girl, You have cancer, don't you? She said, yes, I do. She said, I believe you're going to get well, and I want to encourage you. And she reached up, took her hand, and pulled off that beautiful hair. And there she was, as bald-headed as the little girl. And she said, you see, I'm older than you, and I'm bigger than you, and you're going to get well. The little girl smiled so big and went back out. And the lady put the wig back on, fixed her hair, and went back out and sat down with her party, a large group. Well, the little girl and her family finished eating, and they left. They left before the lady and her other and her friends did. And the little girl saw each other. They saw each other across the restaurant. The little girl waved at her, and the lady waved back at her, and they smiled at each other. And the little girl said, Can I see it again? And that lady, with everybody looking at her, forgetting what people might think or say, that woman stood up, smiled at her and reached up and took her hair off. Everybody went, you know what? That's exactly what Jesus did. He left the glories of heaven. He left the splendor of the Father's house to go to a cross to become like us so that we could become like Him, so we could be healed of body, mind, and spirit. What a Savior. What a Savior. Well, Sunday evening, Easter Sunday evening, Mary ran back to the upper room where they were all locked in behind the doors thinking they were going to be crucified next. She went back and said, I've seen the Lord. I've seen him. I met him. I was at the tomb. It's empty. He's there. He came out, talked to him. He called me by name. And Charlie's sermon last Sunday, wonderfully. He knows your name. She went back. They didn't pay attention to her. They said, well, she's just a neurotic woman. She's just excited. She didn't say anything. 
And then the two from the road to Emmaus <clears throat> came back. And then the other women came back. Peter and John ran to the tomb, came back, saw the tomb was empty. And there they were in the upper room, locked into the room, terrified. Here they were all standing there. And suddenly, he comes in. Now, some of us lose our imagination. Sometimes we put it on hold and it just atrophies. But think for a moment. Try to think for a moment. Here were these men and these women who had just given up everything. They loved him more than life itself. They loved him and they felt terrible. They'd not been there to be beside him during his hour of crisis. And suddenly, he walks into the room. Their hearts stopped beating. They didn't breathe. They thought it was a ghost or something, an apparition or something. And he looked at him. I believe he had a big smile on his face because I believe he smiled a lot. And he said, Peace be unto you, which was a, a, a saying they used all the time, every day, kind of like you and I say, Good day, have a good day. That's kind of what it was. It really meant have a good day with God. Have a, let God keep you from trouble during this day. That's really what it meant. So he walks in there. He said it many times. In fact, he said to him twice, try to get it across to them. Peace to you. It's okay. It's okay. It's me. And the Bible says they were exuberant. What happened to exuberance in worship for the living Christ? When did we start turning church into a funeral, into a, that into a celebration? He is alive. He walked in and they were exuberant. They couldn't believe it. And they were, they were kind of afraid. It's, this is, this is unbelievable. You can't imagine how stunned they were. And you know what he did? He said, uh, you have anything to eat? And they said, yes. Yes, we've got some broiled fish. And they brought the fish out and they started eating it. And I think they just stood around and looked at him like they'd never seen him eat before. Like He was real. He was real. And then suddenly he got up and he left. Came back a week later. Met with Peter alone. Met with his half-brother James. Met with over 500 people at one time. No one saw him rise, but many saw him risen. Risen. Over 500 people saw him at one time. More people witnessed the living Christ than witnessed the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Verified by over 500 people. Well, I believe those disciples thought when Jesus came back, well, hey, my, this is wonderful. We're all going to go back up to Capernaum. We're going to go back up to Galilee, and he's going to perform some more miracles and all that sort of thing, feed thousands of people more. Jesus said, no, that's not it. You know what it is? You're going to carry this gospel to the ends of the earth. Do you remember when you used to play tag, and you run up and you touch somebody, and you say, what? You're it. You're it. That's exactly what Jesus said to start the church. The church began in that upper room and the following Sunday, bright Sunday, when Jesus said, you're it. He reached out and touched you with his spirit. He said, I'm going to put my spirit in you. 
my Holy Spirit in you. And they said, oh, don't go back to heaven. Don't go back. He said, it's better for me to go back because then I can send the Holy Spirit and He will be in each one of you and He is in each one of you. If He is not in you, you're not a Christian. For if any man has not the Spirit of Christ, the Scripture says, if any man has not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. But if we have His Spirit, His Spirit within us affirms one another. And if you know the Spirit of God in your life, what we need to do is not just have the Spirit in our lives, but to be full of the Spirit. You have a glass of water, a third full, and you've got water in the glass. What Jesus wants to do is for it to overflow with the exuberance of the realization that Jesus Christ is alive to save the whole world. And that's what the church is supposed to do. And Jesus said, you're it. You're to go to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Listen, Trinity Baptist Church, you're it. We're it. If the gospel is going to be spread, it will be spread by us. If the word is going to be proclaimed, it will be proclaimed by us because we are it. There's a legend that says when Jesus returned to heaven, the angel said, "Ah, you've entrusted all of this to these just everyday folks down there. What are you going to do if they fail? And his answer was, I have no other plan. We're his plan. And if we don't do it, it won't be done. And the Spirit of God comes into this room this morning to touch your heart and to mine and say, you're it. And I want to strengthen you and I want to heal you and I want to bless you and I want to restore you and I want you to know your sins are forgiven and you can go and share this transforming message to the ends of the earth beginning right where you are.